Hi, and welcome to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues, where today we'll be discussing two of our favorite topics, gold and cryptocurrency. And we'll be talking about gold versus cryptocurrency. I'm Nick White, Global Strategic Research Director for Mercer, and I'm joined by colleague and in-house expert, Matt Scott, and external expert, Urs Bolt. He's got 30 years of experience in wealth management, investment banking, and related technology businesses. But Urs, maybe, do you want to give us a few moments to explain your role today? Thank you, Nick, for having me here on this podcast with Matt. Um, sure. Um, have decades of experience, as you mentioned, uh, focus very much on wealth management and in the last few years also on crypto assets, Bitcoin, digital assets, and in the intersection with how will that uh, play into traditional finance, i.e. wealth management. So I hope I can add some points uh, to our discussion today. Oh, you're certainly well-versed. So let's kick this off. So let's talk about why uh, gold and Bitcoin are so often compared to one another. Um, Bitcoin's even been referred to as uh, digital gold. Matt, do you want to walk us through why they're often referred to in similar phrases? Yeah, so I think, um, although I do believe they're quite different, there are certain similarities that are very far from from trivial. So I think Bitcoin and gold, they're both really sort of decentralized um, monetary technologies, essentially. So what what this really means is that there isn't a central authority that's that's creating any new monies. So both of them essentially are are mined, even if the sort of Bitcoin mining is a sort of electronic process, it's something that essentially a user of the system does rather than a central authority. So I think as well, the the comparisons have really been around for quite a long time. I think they've been around sort of from, from the word go. So in, in 1998, Nick Zabo's sort of uh, white paper, uh, you know, his thesis for a digital currency um, was called was called Bitcold. So that's been around for a long time, and I think off, we, we hear a lot at the moment about inflation. We've been talking about inflation to clients for a long time and how to uh, deal with inflation risks. We we hear about both of them in that context, and the reason is that both have sort of quite well understood inflation rates. We sort of have a pretty good idea of how much gold is. At, extra gold is going to be mined every year and also how much extra bitcoin is going to be mined every year definitely sort of don't think bitcoin is particularly sort of there as as an inflation hedge but definitely understand why sort of people talk to us about that and they're both really uh, in some way, sort of short short dollar positions, you know, they would both be expected to be beneficiaries from U.S. dollar debasement. So uh, maybe sort of a bit later, talk a bit more about why they're different. But there's definitely reasons, you know, valid reasons why people have bought them up in in the same context. I think as well there was there's been a lot of column inches in in digital media. Um, at the same time that there were some flows out of um, gold ETF holdings, there were sort of rises in, in Bitcoin holdings. There wasn't much real evidence that they were direct flows, but uh, I think certainly in, in the media, the narrative was that people were sort of pivoting from sort of the old analog gold to this sort of digital gold. So I think that that's why we're here talking about this today, I think. 
Uh, do, you, do you agree with that? You obviously, you speak to investors in this space. Do you, you think the psychology is similar or where do you think it's, uh, think it's different? Um, certainly makes sense to me. On the other hand, I would say with Bitcoin, there was a massive uh, creation of wealth in the last few years. And I think it's actually new wealth, new money going into Bitcoin for various reasons. You know, one of them could be that you are independent of traditional finance. But the more you look into it, you probably cannot just compare gold with Bitcoin as such. So I think I think you, if you want to really be um, more diversified, for instance, or hedge against inflation, but also benefit from a different, let's say, uh, performance, etc. Then you might want to have both. You want to be in Bitcoin and gold, but it's very much driven on the mindset you have. You know, uh, obviously, many libertarian mindsets are in cryptocurrencies in the whole industry, in the crypto financial ecosystem, to say so, including Bitcoin. And if you're one of those who hold this already for years, you hardly, you're probably not just gonna swap. Uh, between gold and Bitcoin. So I would say many of those have both because gold is a proven asset versus Bitcoin still has to prove and very much flows or goes up and down with the traditional stock markets right now. Well, that's definitely right, isn't it? I mean, Matt, do you want to give us uh, a, a few tips on gold's relationship with inflation historically? And then we can explore Bitcoin a bit more. Yeah, so gold obviously has no contractual relationship to inflation. I think something as well that's similar about both assets is that they're they're, they're both is essentially sort of belief systems. You you know, gold gold has tended to sort of protect in in times of um, uh, artificial uh, interest rates environments. Uh, it benefits when uh, there's inflation, certainly when when there's hyperinflation, and it does that simply because there is that that's essentially how it's expected to behave. People have historically uh, bought bought it or or held it or used it to store wealth through times where they're worried about um, where they're worried about uh, fiat currencies essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, on the other hand, what you see now in countries where they have real issues with um, inflation and hyperinflation, obviously then cryptocurrencies, but especially also Bitcoin, really shows its benefit, like Turkey, Venezuela, other countries. And we'll see how that will play out in the future. But I would certainly... See, there is value in it, maybe not in the developed markets where we still have sort of a, let's say, stable, a more stable situation. But that uh, seems to also be under pressure and might change in the future. I, th- I think what, what, what I'd say as well w- with Bitcoin, that there definitely is a re- some sort of relation uh, to, to inflation. You know, inf- inflation will affect uh, Bitcoin. It, what Bitcoin is, though, is an incredibly volatile asset. So it's it's almost 
it's almost like what's going on with inflation sometime is is kind of um you know teardrops in the rain you know it's it's there, there's a huge amount of other things uh, going going on with the with the bitcoin price yeah. so whilst i think inflation is part of the the bitcoin story it's really not not the whole of the the bitcoin story yeah, sure. I mean, I would add to that that let's say you're, you're in Turkey of hyperinflation of Venezuela, you at least have the perspective that the meta trend with Bitcoin is going up, right? And this whole um, volatility doesn't matter as much, of course, day by day, it can have an impact, but then you have to adjust. But it's still, uh, let's say, in a sort of way, an independent safe haven, which is also uh, fungible, right? You can transport it. It's not like gold where a kilo bar is already uh, a chunk of, you know, which you need to first uh, transport. So it's not that easy unless you have very small pieces. But um, yeah, that, that I would say if you are in such a situation, it it's just more beneficial for those involved or affected by that situation in the specific country. Well, you, you know, the, I think the crypto, the crypto world is such a sort of um, interesting world. We're, we're mainly talking about Bitcoin here, but there are actually very many sort of types of actual crypto gold. So the, these are there's uh, there's about sort of six major cryptos that are literally backed by physical uh, gold holdings. The sort of one that sort of always springs immediately to mind is Tether Gold, which is was created by the same uh, team as tether, so you don't necessarily have to be a sort of one or the, one or the other. You know, if you if you if you want to, you 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 can invest in a sort of um, you know an ERC twenty token that um, is backed by by physical gold. So it's not necessarily about one or the other. You can combine the sort of ancient and and the modern. And um, I'm well, I'm always reminded because. Um, Nick is my boss, and he's 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 in Australia. That the that the Perth Mint has also uh, tokenized gold and, and and made it available. So I should get a piece of that. Thanks for that, Matt. I thought you I thought you were just worried about what you're going to say there. You need to be cautious, given that I was there <laughs> on the other end of the phone. Um, Okay, so thanks for that. So I think you know, just explore the differences a little bit more because you, you touched on performances there. Performance has clearly been very different. So this concept of store of value, this concept of, of reliability to a certain extent, you know, the psychologies are quite, are quite different really, aren't they? You know, one is seen very firmly as a hedge and one's potentially a transformational asset and the performance to us is, is happening that way. We could explore recent performance. Um, we've had the COVID crisis, We've had uh, an inflation breakout, and we talked a bit about the relationship with, uh, with inflation. And now, of course, uh, we've had Russia invading Ukraine. Um, during these times, we've had quite a divergence of performance. I mean, maybe, Urs, if I start with you first, um, has the performance of cryptocurrencies this time been as you would expect? You know, what sort of connection has there really been to the, the underlying uh, events? Yeah, when you look at the yeah, but the events in the market is one thing, but for the let's say for the hardcore Bitcoiners or the maximalists as they are called, they they just stick to it, you know, they don't move. But then you have obviously, um, let's say, uh, a few or a number of so-called whales which hold very big uh, positions, 
And you have some institutional investors, which I see more in the hedge fund business, not in, let's say, traditional institutional business like, let's say, pension funds, uh, etc. Uh, and if they move, then obviously you have big swings and then you have some special effects, like if you get a tweet from Elon Musk, etc. On the other hand, despite all that, it's very interesting to see that um, just in the case of Ukraine, you know, you have like donations coming, charitable donations, which which are uh, announced uh, that you can pay in Bitcoin or or other cryptos, which um, seems to be easier than to, to manage and collect the money. It's almost like a crowdfunding. And there's just a huge community out there, which obviously this is appealing to them. Others, I would say, most are still uh, donating in a traditional way by sending over money onto an account. But... It, non, nonetheless, it's uh, it's very controversial because, on the other hand, there's also talk about uh, you know are you avoiding sanctions by using it? I wouldn't say so because it's traceable. You know the addresses are clear. I mean, the, I wouldn't um, use that route to avoid it, to be honest. And and on the other hand, um, yes, you have speculation and it follows the market. So it's uh, it's not easy to get a hand around and you need to be really having, everyone needs to have his own um, understanding and way how he deals with Bitcoin or crypto currencies uh, in general. I think it's, it's very interesting um, because people have generally tended to see sort of cryptocurrency as you know a system where you can cross borders uh, relatively easily. I think you know that is part of the sort of original uh, idea of it very recently we've seen one of the major exchanges um uh, limiting access to um addresses that that are linked to russia for example so that thesis is slightly under attack there's also been a huge amount of uh, ransomware attacks on on ukraine uh, where the sort of ransoms have been demanded in bitcoins, so there's definitely sort of two sides to what's going on there. I think re- recent performance has been very illuminating, and I think you know I like talking about the journey that Bitcoin has has gone on. I think what, when you go back to 2010 and you're looking at who's investing in in Bitcoin, it's it's computer programmers, you know, people that are real sort of tech heads you know they're they're doing it as a bit of fun really it's a hobby and at that point it's really a very uncorrelated asset i think if we fast forward to today you can buy it in etfs now Uh, you have uh, very large institutional asset allocators who will sort of switch between uh, bitcoin and other assets so it's really become an asset that's much more in- integrated into the mainstream financial system. And so when people talk about Bitcoin being this sort of uncorrelated asset and maybe this asset that has something to do with um, inflation, a-, a lot of that is starting to, to go away. It's become a-, a much more this sort of speculative uh, risk-on asset. And I think when people talk about linked to inflation really what's been happening is that um bitcoin has been going up at the same time as inflation has been going up which is not necessarily the same thing 
So I said earlier that, that you know in, inflation clearly is a, a factor in you know it will affect Bitcoin prices, but you, there are so many other things going on that it's really um, a million miles away in my mind from being a clean hedge. And I think if you look at the Bitcoin price over the last few months, it, it it's fallen off. It it it's been a sort of massive crash. I mean, it it doesn't feel that dramatic just because crashes are so so frequent in the history of bitcoin but really at a time of uh you you know where inflation is a big worry uh, where geopolitics it, it is a big worry we really have seen it sort of f- f- fall fall away and really what bitcoin is going to be in the future in terms of its risk and return characteristics probably very uh, different from uh, what it has been in the past, and I think you, you know a lot of the a lot of the sort of story behind uh, this sort of Bitcoin performance and inflation performance uh, was based around um, the the stimulus checks in the U.S. Um, obviously, those stimulus checks uh, during time of COVID were really um, very needed uh, for people that had um, lost work or were struggling to feed their families. But often, given the, the sort of indiscriminate nature of the payments, they were used to purchase um, cryptocurrencies. That had some effect on the market, but the biggest effect was was that narrative, essentially. And it was this sort of direct connection to... Um, inflation you know literally sort of money money printing and and handing it out is in sort of purest expression of inflation and that was directly affecting the bitcoin price but that seems to be more of a a, a one off phenomenon i guess that you, you probably wouldn't wouldn't expect to repeat in the in the future unless you really very much felt that this sort of decline decline of the west um story which i think is is very much overplayed was and you know this sort of de-dollarization story you know if you if you really felt that the dollar was about to so, sort of lose its prominence very quickly then then maybe you might be thinking about some something like bitcoin but really i think a lot of those stories have been uh very, very much overplayed um, yeah i could imagine but you know, when you look at the price levels now going up and down, you know, maybe the next halving events, which um, will be in 2024, I mean, I would expect then it will will get a massive, substantial price increase again. So until then, it might just hover around, but it really much dif- depends on the macro events going around. So let, let's assume you are like a doomsday, you know, uh, scenario. Then I would say it that the real test for Bitcoin um, is still ahead of us. I mean, I, mean, I think it, it's it's kind of eerie, you know. Every time I, I sort of hear this uh, sort of halving story, I, I, I feel it's quite eerie because I'm sort of very much used to this this idea that, you know, fa- financial markets are efficient. And cl- clearly, um, you know, Markets are meant to price things in that we know are going to happen. You know, we we know that that halving is going to happen, and yet it does seem to sort of control this this cycle in um in a mm-hmm. very sort of predictable way. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I've started getting quite interested in 
you know, hedge, hedge funds using crypto, just because it seems that the markets are incredibly inefficient. And if you are one of those professional players, maybe, maybe you can sort of come in and, and make some money out of that. But I think, well, you know, we're, we're talking about the sort of future of Bitcoin here. I, I wonder if it's worth talking a bit about the sort of sustainability issues. So, you know, we know that sustainability is, you know, it's really key to all, all the advice that we, we give at Mercer. And as Bitcoin has become this, you know, very large asset, you know, as soon as it sort of passed the sort of $1 trillion market cap, um, you know, it gets a lot more scrutiny. And I think people have started to become a lot more interested in 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 the emissions re- related to Bitcoin, particularly as some of the other crypto assets seem to be moving to different protocols, which are much less energy intensive. I don't know if you have any any, any view on that, Urs? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, it's definitely very controversial. There's a lot. Of, there are a lot of papers out in the market to read about, especially in May last year, from uh, the Cambridge Alternative. Uh, Center Finance, which which has now regular updates, which which is good and which was quoted often and reused. Uh, but in general, um, looking at energy is one way, primary energy, which goes into producing electricity. It really very much depends uh, from which angle do you compare the electricity consumption to uh, mine bitcoins, if it's a proof of work. Um, approach versus um let's say traditional financial system money systems and how much energy starts that to you so there is also there are also some considerations and studies out there i remember galaxy um, uh, published a paper about that and it, it very and there's a huge shift which happened obviously last summer autumn when uh, china banned all uh, mining activities so a lot shifted to other countries actually diversified rather more than um, having a big chunk of mining in China. And you need to really look at the energy mix behind the electricity, which is used for mining. And the other aspects I see is it has actually also beneficial effects if you have surplus energy, which would otherwise be wasted and can be reused. And that's what you mostly see when you have, let's say, hydropower. Again, there it can be run off the river or it can be pump storage, uh, different aspects. But one of the keys is obviously that you have a continuous flow of electricity to produce uh, and mine uh, bitcoins. With other um, protocols, it's obviously much lower. But then I would say, you know, how long is such a high an energy intensity to, to mine bitcoins necessarily if we just have 21 million bitcoins being mined so uh, at a certain time it will just fall off and then the transactions by itself don't use much energy actually well, it's interesting isn't it because for significant huge institutional uptake you know a lot of this uh, the big endowment foundation money this could be a, a major hurdle for them even you know, thinking about it, and we can talk a little bit about the infrastructure that's needed um, to really make this a more approachable and investable tool for um, for the broader universe. 
But until we get over that sustainability hurdle, it feels like there is a part of the universe that is almost blocked out to it to a certain extent. Uh, fully agree. What Nick, efforts yeah. are being made by the um, by the the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency industry to address this? Well, one one of the one of the things about uh, gold is that it is this thing that is always the same. You, you, you know as as alchemists found out, you, you know, you can't sort of cre create an uh, atomic substance. And then when you, you look at um, Bitcoin, uh, part of the, you, you know, this thesis that it's digital gold kind of relies on it really not changing that much, you know, if it if it if it's always implementing forks and it, you know if it's changing all the time it's it suddenly stops looking so much like gold so i think it is very difficult because on on the one hand people in that sort of developer community for bitcoin will have heard an awful lot about uh, sustainability and they will have heard an awful lot about that criticism but whether they're able to uh, You, you know, change is is very much open to to question. I think there are um, certain protocols. Um, you know, the Beacon Chain, for example, uh, you, you know, aims to um, make it a lot easier to transact in in Bitcoin. But I think it's still very hard to to get away from the sustainability issue. I think gold also has. Um, sustainability issues. Um, I think one thing that I'm always sort of keen to, to mention to people is that bullion doesn't have much of a sort of scope three emission. You know, if you if you hold a bullion bar in a vault and you transfer ownership from someone, you know, to to another person, there wasn't really much of an emission there, or much of an emission from the gold bar sitting in the vault, other than you know is required for sort of lighting in in the vault and, and security and, and things like that which are sort of fairly um de minimis so I, i do think this is really important um and i think the rest of the crypto world does very much seem to be moving on uh with with proof of stake and ethereum is really the the blockchain work which you see very much being the sort of public face of um, the decentralized finance movement whether or not bitcoin sort of can carry on on, on its sort of island you, you you know existing as it always has been um it, it is pretty much open to question at the moment though um you know i haven't heard of any sort of sustainability focused investor that has, that has touched bitcoin Yeah, I would agree with that. On the other hand, you know, if you look at like other electricity-driven uh, initiatives like electric vehicles, etc., it always depends on the energy mix. So I think the, to to just exclude Bitcoin because of that alone, you know, um, is probably a bit too simplistic. Yeah, and I I think it's um, I mean I I do think a lot of um, a, a lot of miners do feel uh, aggrieved about being sort of conf confronted on an energy all the time you know they, they often feel well you know i've got i've got a sort of rig at home you know i have to use the the energy mix that, that that's available to me and I'd, i'd much rather that sort of the energy energy was made uh available responsibly um so i do feel the frustration there and i do think there has been a change you, you know you mentioned um about uh bitcoin um 
mining being banned in China, a lot of that mining was done in a very dirty way. A lot of it was, you know, very much coal fueled. So I think there is a sort of moving on and there are a lot of very high profile mining firms that work using hydropower or, you know, I saw a particular example of a firm that was using um, uh, gas that otherwise was natural gas that was otherwise going to be flared. So I think it is a nuanced story, but it definitely seems sort of far away from a um, you know, a sustainable story at the moment. Although I think there are other cryptos where, you know, that's that story is much less of a worry. Sure, but the, the world is continuing to evolve. The industry is continuing to respond. Um, and more and more investors are having these kind of conversations. Uh, I think we can expect to see this story run and run. Um, first, I know that when we were talking, uh, you were talking about the complexities about managing um, the reporting and the um, uh, managing the documentation and so on. So I don't know if you wanted to add a quick comment to that, just as a sort of what does the industry need to work on to get full acceptance? Uh, and then maybe we can... Yeah, I mean, this is point. obviously complex environment, ecosystem. One thing is uh, a regulation, you know, the regulatory mm-hmm. oversight, you know, uh, acceptance, cryptocurrency, stable coins, etc., Bitcoin as well. But then also the digital assets means digitalization or tokenization of existing assets versus the crypto assets. You have all the NFTs, uh, non-fungible tokens coming in and uh, new and new news cases, for instance, coming with the metaverse. But I think in general, I can say it, it will proliferate. It will be more accepted. We have new generations of investors which um, inherit um, assets which they want to um, diversify into such new assets. And if you have an overall portfolio and the total wealth to manage, I think it's still very much by itself and you have to do a lot of, uh, let's say, self uh, serving you or you have uh, a specialist but they not like standard solutions which help you to look at across the all the assets you ho- hold including crypto assets so i think one thing is to to support the investment process and reporting process for performance risk oversight risk management and and an investment management of course by um by technology, software, etc. I'm sure, I mean, there's a lot going on, but it's still either you are uh, having wallets and you have like uh, the platforms, portals you access to exchanges which help you to, to manage your assets, but haven't come across something easy to handle, which includes all the other assets too. But I think the process and the development is now going to bring that together, like fintech, and crypt tech or crypto technologies are coming much closer together with also with wealth management technologies. So I think this is now a process which is moving the more um, the assets, the crypto assets and the traditional financial assets are held uh, together by the same asset owners. Absolutely. It's an area that's evolving very fast. Sorry, Matt, did you want to make a last comment there? Yeah, so I I think it is it is moving very fast. I think um, 
you, you know, in terms of integration, you, you know, anyone that has PayPal now, for, for example, will will have access to to sort of Lightning Chain, you know, to 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 transact uh, uh, Bitcoin. Um, so it's becoming it's becoming a lot easier. You you don't really have to be a, a nerd so much anymore if you if you want to to trade crypto. There are various financial platforms where you can move your money between. Um, stocks and metals, uh, commodities, uh, cryptocurrencies, even sort of quite complicated option structures, uh, for example. So there's a there's a huge amount of accessibility at the moment. And I think we're still trying to sort of digest, for example, uh, President Biden over, overnight um, has yeah. issued an executive order on, on cryptocurrency that it seems to be trying to steer the development of of the field uh, so it's a very exciting time at the moment um participation is is opening up a lot more regulation in some parts of the world is is very against cryptocurrency regulation in other parts of the world is really sort of trying to steward it and and nurse it and is is much more constructive yeah i mean what i really was missing at the executive order was the clear um, positioning for decentralized finance but it's quite obvious to me that the big strategic let's say clash is is between centralized and decentralized finance and obviously regulation is is not so easy if you really want to to have it decentralized but um, that's something i'm following very closely because it has a huge impact also on the ecosystem um, fortunately, in Switzerland, we're quite advanced in that. But nonetheless, decentralized world is not, let's say, fully captured, if at all. So, Ursh, just turning to the executive order, how significant is it really? It seems to be an indication of the recognition by governments of the need to regulate and put structure around a burgeoning market. And banks are making efforts to create infrastructure to accommodate such a market. How do you see the market developing from here? I think it's a, a very important signal now, which shows the that the regulators, and now especially in the US where it was long awaited, that to get regulatory clarity for the traditional financial players like banks, custody banks, also asset management, to actually now move forward. You know, that's that's I th- that's very clear to me. And you, you see it across the world. As soon as you have regulatory clarity, there are service providers from traditional finance coming in and not just the new players, which I already use when you just look at Coinbase with 80 million accounts open. But when it goes to traditional finance and depending on uh, what the investors are, this is now important. Let's say JP Morgan, Bank of America, Northern Trust was an announcement just made days ago that they um, also offer custody and brokerage, which is a clear signal they want to accommodate institutional investors as well, professional investors. So as you obviously got experience um, in the Swiss market, which is more advanced in this space than most of the markets around the world. Uh, if you could just say, um, just give us some insight into what you've seen in the market, which, uh, which investors are really interested and where you see that developing. Yes, sure. So when you... So last year's new all-time highs in Bitcoin and also in general the crypto market and the proliferation 
and emergence of non-fungible tokens, NIFTIs, etc. Um, many um, smaller, mid-sized banks are now thinking around how can they offer accommodate, you know, their customers offering crypto investments. So we're talking more about, let's say, affluent or retail customers, but also high net worth individuals. And uh, I, I see that clearly. I also know, obviously, because I still have a lot of friends working in banks, in traditional finance, they still sort of, you know, it's not so clear how they want to move in. But what you see is the appetite is growing. And again, Switzerland has, from a regulatory point of view, a very advanced uh, is in a very advanced state, and that helps obviously to also offer such services. So it's, there is a whole ecosystem around uh, banks which can offer custody service providers from a technology point of view, but also brokerages, and they also expand elsewhere. And so, just lately, we saw in Dubai the the crypto oasis openings. Obviously, Dubai wants to, or the Emirates, they want to be. A leader in this space, whereas in Singapore, it's rather a bit of a pushback scene lately. So some players might move out. But in Switzerland, I see that also among friends, colleagues, they're asking, how can you get in? How can I get started? And it shows the appetite for it, which is obviously a bit adverse to how institutionals, traditional pension funds, etc., look at it. They're probably going to come in at the later stage, but I think the ground is being prepared for this. And obviously one reason is also um, different risk uh, profiles of the investors and revenue expectations in these markets. Yeah. So I think institutions tend to be focused on managing the tail risks and not necessarily on accessing the tail opportunities. So this is perhaps a little less natural for them. But indeed that regulatory framework is something that will provide a lot of support going forward. It's almost chicken and egg, isn't it? Which is you've got to create the, the platform in order to create the active market. And the active market is what drives the creation of the platform. But of course, we have a template in uh, in Switzerland for the rest of the world to uh, to follow, arguably. Absolutely agree with that, yeah. Whether you're talking about gold or whether you're talking about cryptocurrency or whether you're talking about gold or cryptocurrency, it, it's... It's fascinating to me and us with Immersa that just how polarised the views can be. Um, and that just means that we're just going to be talking about this for you know, a long time yet and we'll definitely be following the development in cryptocurrencies. So I'd like to thank you both, uh, Matt and Merce, for joining me today and sharing um, your insights with us. Uh, and to you, the listener, for joining. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcasts and please leave a, la- a rating and a review. Uh, if you'd like to contact us or speak to a Mercer representative, please email ctci at mercer.com. Thank you. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Merce's opinions.